Chapter 22 is called Appetite. Oh, to be a vampire again, Harvey thought, to have claws and fangs and hanger for blood upon him like the hunger he had that distant Halloween, the hunger he turned from in, in disgust. He wouldn't turn from it now. Oh, no. He'd let it swell the beast in him so he could fly in Hood's face with his hatred razor sharp. But he wasn't a beast. He was a boy. It was the vampire king who had the power, not him. And then, as he stared up at the house, he remembered something that Rictus had told him at the door. It takes a lot of magic to conjure up these shams and hoaxes, he said. Mr. Hood's really sweating to find you something that you like. Maybe I don't need fangs to suck him dry, Harvey thought. Maybe all I need is wishes. I want to talk to Hood, he told Rictus. Why? Well, maybe there are some things that I'd like, only I want to tell him about them personally. He's listening, Rictus said, glancing back toward the house. Harvey scanned the windows and the eaves in the porch, but there was no sign of any presence. I don't see him, he said. Yes, you do, Rictus replied. Is he in the house? Harvey asked, staring through the open door. Haven't you guessed yet, Rictus replied. He is the house. As he spoke, a cloud moved over the sun. The roof and walls darkened and the entire house seemed to swell like a monstrous fungus. It was alive. From the ease to the foundations, alive. Go on, Rictus said. Speak to him. He's listening. Harvey took a step toward the house. Can you hear me? He said. The front door swung a little wider, wider, and a sighing breath from the top of the stairs blew a cloud of jive's dust out onto the porch. He can hear you, said Rictus. If I stay, Harvey began. Yes, said the house, making the word from creaks and rattles. You'll give me anything I want? For a bright boy like you, came the reply. Anything. You promise on your magic? I promise. I promise. Just say the word. Well, for a start... Yes, I lost my ark. Then you must have another, my lodestar, the hood house said. Bigger, better, and a board of the porch folded back as the ark three times the size of the first one rose into view. I don't want lead animals, Harvey said as he walked toward the steps. What then, said Hood? Silver, gold? Flesh and blood, Harvey replied. Perfect little animals. I like a challenge, Hood said. As he spoke, a tiny din of bellows and roars rose from the ark, and the little windows were flung open and the doors flung wide, and half a hundred animals appeared, all perfect miniature, elephants, giraffes, hyenas, aardvarks, doves. Satisfied, said Hood. Harvey shrugged. It's okay, I suppose, he said. Okay, said Hood. It's a little miracle. So make me another. Another ark? Another miracle. Well, what would you like? Harvey turned his back on the hood house and surveyed the lawn. The sight of Mrs. Griffin watching with puzzlement inspired the next request. I want flowers, he said, everywhere, and I don't want two alike. What for? asked the hood house. You said I could have whatever I wanted, Harvey replied. You didn't say I had to give you reasons. If I have to do all of that, the fun goes out of it. Oh, I wouldn't want that, the hood house said. You must have fun at all costs. So give me the flowers, Harvey insisted. The lawn began to tremble as, as though a minor earthquake were underway, and the next moment, countless shoots pressed, pressed up between the blades of grass. Mrs. Griffin began to laugh with delight. Look at them, she said. Just look. It was quite a show. Tens of thousands of flowers bursting into blossom at the same time. Harvey could have named a few of them. He had been quizzed. Tulips, daffodils, roses, but most of them were new to him. Species that only bloomed at night on the high Himalayas or on the windswept plateaus of the Terra del Fuego. Flowers with blooms as big as his head or as small as his thumbnail. 
blooms that stank like bad meat or smelled like a breeze from heaven itself. Even though he knew it was all an illusion, he was impressed, and he said so. Looks good, he told the, house, the hood house. Satisfied? I wanted to know. Was its voice a little weaker than it had been earlier? Harvey wondered. He suspected it was. He showed no sign of that suspicion, however. He simply said, we're getting there. Getting where, said the hood house. Well, said Harvey, I guess we'll know when we arrive. A little growl of irritation came from the house, shaking the windows. One or two slates slid from the roof and smashed on the ground below. I'm going to have to be careful, Harvey thought. Hood's getting angry. Rictus echoed that thought. I hope you're not stringing Mr. Hood along, he warned, because he doesn't like that kind of game. He wants me happy, doesn't he, Harvey said? Of course. So how about something to eat? The kitchen's full, said Rictus. I don't want pies and hot dogs. I want... He paused, ransacking his memory for delicious delicatesses that he had heard about. Roast swan and oysters and those little black eggs. Caviar, Rictus suggested. That's it. I want caviar. Really? It's disgusting. I still want it, said Harvey, and frog's legs and horseradish and pomegranates. The meals were already appearing in the hallway, plate upon steaming plate. The smells were tantalizing at first, but the more dishes that Harvey added to the list, the more sinky, the more sickly the mix became. He rapidly began to exhaust his menu of real meals. However, so instead of giving the house easy recipes like meatball and pizza, he started to invent dishes. I want crawfish cooked in cherry soda and horse steaks with jelly bean sauce and Boston cream cheese and pastrami soup. Wait, wait, said Rictus, you're going too fast. But Harvey didn't stop. And pumpernickel stew and snail fudge with pigfoot clusters? Wait, the house howled. This time, Harvey stopped. In the heat of his invention, he hadn't even looked to see if Hood was supplying him with these, with these edibles. But now he saw all the dishes that he demanded piled so high in the hallway that they were threatening to topple and float the ark of, of the sea of sea, sweet meats and stews. I know what you're doing, said Hood House. Uh-oh, Harvey thought, he's on to me. He looked up from the feast at the door to the facade and saw that his plan to drain the house of its magic was indeed working. Many of the windows were now cracked or broken. The doors were peeling and hanging from their hinges. The porch boards were twisted and, and blighted. You're testing me, aren't you? said Hood. His voice had never been so melodious, but it was now uglier than ever, like the rumble of the devil's belly. Admit, thief, he said. Harvey took a deep breath and then said, if I'm going to be your apprentice, then I need to know how powerful you are. Are you satisfied, the decaying house demanded? Almost, said Harvey. What more do you want, it roared. What more indeed, Harvey thought? His mind was reeling with this ridiculous list. He had little left in the, the way of demands. You may have one final gift, the hood house said. One final proof of my power and that you must accept me as your master forever and ever. Agreed? Harvey felt a trickle of cold sweat run down his spine. He stared at the teetering house, his mind racing. What was left to demand? Agreed, the house boom. Agreed, he said. So tell me, it went on, what do you want? He looked at the tiny animals around the ark and the flowers and the, and the food spewing through the door. What should he demand? One final request to break Hood's back. But what? What? A gust of chilly wind came from the direction of the lake. Autumn could not be far off. The season of dying things. I know, he said suddenly. Tell me, the house replied. Tell me and let's have this game over once and for all. I want your bright soul under my wing, little thief. And I want the seasons, Harvey said, all the seasons at once. At once? Yes, at once. That's nonsensical. It's what I want. Stupid. It's what I want. You said one more wish and that's it. Very well, said the house. I will give it to you. And when you have it, little thief, 
Your soul is mine. Chapter 23 is the War of Seasons. Hood didn't waste any time. He had no sooner made his final offer to Harvey than the balmy wind grew gusty, carrying off the lamb's wool clouds that had been drifting through the summer sky. In their place came a jogrant, a thunderhead the size of a mountain, which loomed over the house like a shadow thrown against heaven. It had more than lightning at its dark heart. It had the light rains that came at early morning to coax forth the seeds of another spring. It had the drooping fogs of autumn and the spiraling snows that had brought so many midnight Christmases to the house. Now all three fell at once, rain, snows, and fogs, as a chilly sleep that all but covered the sun. It would have killed the flowers of the slope with cold had the wind not reached them first, tearing through the blossoms with such remnants that every petal and leaf was snatched up into the air. Standing between this fragrant tide and the plummeting curtain of ice and cloud, Harvey was barely able to stay upright, but he planted his feet wide apart and resisted every blast and buffet, determined not to take shelter. This spectacle must be the last that he set his eyes upon as a free spirit, indeed as a living spirit. He intended to enjoy it. It was a sight to behold, a battle like the ones the that the planet had never seen. To his left, shafts of sunlight pierced the storm clouds in the name of summer, only to be smothered by autumn's fogs, while to his right, spring coaxed its legions out of the bow and earth, then saw its buds murdered by winter's frost before they could show their colors. Attack after attack was mounted and repulsed, Reville and retreat sounded a hundred times, but no one season was able to carry the day. It was soon impossible to distinguish defeats from victories. The rallies and the feats, the diversions and the encirclements all became one confusion. Snow melted into rain as they fell. Rains were boiled into vapor and sweated new shoots out through the rot of their brothers. And somewhere in the midst of this chaos, the power that had brought it about raised its voice in a rage demanding that it seize. Enough, the hood house yelled, enough. But its voice, which had once carried such terrible authority, had grown weak. Its orders went unnoticed, or if noticed, they disobeyed. The seasons raged on, throwing themselves against each other with rare abandon. And in past hearing at the house, which stood in the midst of their battlefields, the walls, which had begun to teeter at hood's power diminished, were thrown over by the raging wind. The chimneys were racked by the thunder and toppled. The lightning rods struck so many times they melted and fell through the slateless roof in the burning rain, setting fire to every floorboard, banister, and stick of furniture that they touched. The porch plummeted by hail was reduced to matchwood. The staircase rocked to its foundations by the growth in the dirt around it, collapsed like a tower of cards. Squinting against the face of the storm, Harvey witnessed all of this and rejoiced. He came to the house hoping to steal back the years that Hood had tricked from him, but he had never dared believe that he could bring the whole Edvis down. Yet here it was, falling as he watched. Loud through the dins of wind and the thunder, they couldn't drown out the sound of the house as it perished and went to dust. Every nail and sill and brick seemed to shriek at once, a cry of pain that only oblivion could comfort. Harvey was denied a glimpse of Hood's last moments. A cloud of dirt arose from a veil to cover the site. But he knew the moment his battle with the Vampire King was over because the warring seasons suddenly turned to peace. The thunder had softened its furries and dispersed. The wind dropped to an idling breeze. The fierce sun grew watery and veiled itself into mist. There was debris in the air, of course, petals and leaves, dust and ash. They fell like a dream rain, though their fall marked the end of a dream. Oh, child, said Mrs. Griffin. Harvey turned to her. She was standing just a few yards from him, gazing up at the sky. There was a little patch of blue above their heads, the first glimpse of real sky these few acres of ground had seen since Hood had founded his empire of illusions. But it was not the patch that she was watching. It was the congregation of floating lights, 
the same that Harvey had seen Hood feeding upon in the attic, which had been freed by the collapse of the house. They were now moving into a steady stream toward the lake. The children's souls, she said, her voice growing thinner as she spoke the word. Beautiful. Her body was no longer solid, Harvey saw. She was fading away in front of him. Oh, no, he murmured. She took her eyes off the sky and stared down at her arms and the cap she was carrying in them. It, too, was growing insubstantial. Look at us, Mrs. Griffin said with a smile upon her weary face. It feels so wonderful. But you're disappearing. I've lingered here far too long, sweet boy, she said. There were tears glistening on her face, but they were tears of joy, not of sadness. It's time to go. She kept stroking Stewcat as they both faded from sight. You are the brightest soul I've ever met, Harvey Swick, she said. Keep shining, won't you? Harvey wished he had some words to persuade her to stay a little while longer. But even if he had such words, he knew it would have been selfish to speak them. Mrs. Griffin had another life to go to where every soul shone. Goodbye, child, she said. Wherever I go, I will speak of you with love. Then her ghostly form flickered out, leaving Harley alone in the ruins.